Okay. Well, good morning once again. Uh, I'm so glad to, to see all of you guys here today. Um, I'm going to dive in today. We are in week three of a series called Parables. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, it's been a great series so far. Um, if you're not sure what the word parable means, uh, it's just a fancy old term for story. Um, basically, Jesus used these to kind of dive deeper into the topics he was teaching about. Kind of up until this point, a lot of people who were teaching the word would just read the word. And so they would just, they, they leaned heavily on memorization. Uh, Jewish uh, kids at that time would memorize a lot of scripture. And so that was kind of how they taught. And so when Jesus came around, he tried to apply this, these principles and the things he was telling, apply them to their lives. And in fact, the disciples at one point even asked Jesus himself, why are you telling stories like this? And Jesus gives a great response, and I want to read it to you very quickly. Matthew chapter 13 Verse 10 through 13 says this, You've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift or this insight. It hasn't been given to them. I think Jesus is trying to tell us there that you're walking with me. You see all of this happening. But there are other people that I'm teaching that don't know this. And I think he understood this that the disciples didn't. There are going to be people generations from now who will be reading this. And they need to understand it. And it needs to fit into their life as well. And so Jesus is telling stories. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. There's a big difference between memorizing a scripture and understanding it. A lot of us may know the word. We've memorized a few key scriptures. Some of you, the only scripture you can memorize is Jesus wept. That's cool, all right? Just get it. But there's a, there's a big difference between memorization, hearing Bible stories when you were in kid life, and really understanding the word. And so Jesus is telling these stories to help us understand and put it into real world context for us. Today we're digging deeper into one specific parable, and we're talking about the parable of the talents. Uh, and I'm not talking about America's Got Talent. I'm talking about, at this point, this was money, all right? And so if you've got a Bible app, I'm going to read this whole thing together with us. So brace yourselves. So you get to hear my voice, read Scripture for just a minute. But we're going to look in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 14. So if you've got your, your app or actual Bible, you can, you can follow. If, if you're lazy, that's cool. We've got it on the screens. You can follow us there. I do it all the time. It's okay. Uh, this is what it says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, the reason he said again, he had just told a parable right before this. And so he's back-to-back paraboling it. That's a made-up word. Um, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags went at once, at once, and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received only one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's a really important part of this. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received only one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, investing where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed, so I was afraid. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, but you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has been, who has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to pray real quick before we dive into it. God, we love you. Thank you for this word today. Thank you that you're speaking life into us. God, I pray that my words not get jumbled up in this, but that your word shines through. God, let it be your voice that people hear and not my own. God, we thank you for it. Let us learn something today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you've heard me speak before, you know I'm an interactive guy. I like to have a little fun when I'm up here. And so I want to play a game. Is that okay? Um, I want you to imagine for a minute that I give every single one of you $50. Now, I'm not really going to do that because I work at the church and ministry didn't pay that well, if that's what you're thinking, okay? But imagine I have just given you $50, a 50, crisp $50 bill, and I tell you, you have to spend it this week. You have to spend it on you. Just go crazy, okay? You can't spend it on any bills. You can't put it toward your student loans. You can't do anything like that. Like 50 bucks would make a difference in student loans. But you can't do anything like that. You have to just use it on something fun for yourself, okay? So here's what I want to know. By show of hands, if something resonates with you, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you would go and buy some clothing or some shoes or something like that? Raise it high. Come on, I want to see you. You're going to go spend 50 bucks on clothing and shoes and stuff like that, all right? Okay. Who here would go and have a great meal? You'd go buy some, a, big, a nice steak, a big burger, some shrimp. Okay, okay. How many of you are going to like the movies? You're going to go to a movie and you're going to, or go to an amusement park. You're going to go do something, okay? If you're going to the movie, that 50 bucks covers your cost to get in the movie. Popcorn will cost way more, all right? So 50 bucks is not going to cover it. Here's the thing. This has been an ongoing debate in, in the Woodson house for a while now. Me and my wife, Lauren, have debated back and forth about, I'm not even looking over there right now. I'm going to talk to you guys, okay? This has been a big, long-going debate because as long as we've been married, we've been married just over eight years, and this has always been just kind of a debate we've had. Her argument, she likes to spend money on clothing and shoes, Duh, right? Okay. So she will go, if I were to give her 50 bucks, she would go to TJ Maxx or Amazon in a heartbeat. Okay. And she will buy something cute, something that looks good. And she will eat up all 50 of those dollars. Okay. On clothing and shoes. Me, I'm a food guy. Okay. Obviously. All right. I love a good meal. I love the experience of going to a new restaurant. Whenever we go on vacation to Florida, I'm not looking forward to the beach. I'm looking forward to the Gulf shrimp and grouper, okay? That is where I'm headed. I don't care about the wind and the waves and the sand. I want a restaurant. And so our argument is, what, what, what should we spend our money on? Now, she does have a really good point. Her big argument, her left hook for me is that what she buys with that money has good resale value. Mine doesn't. Okay, if you're buying the food after I eat it, ew, okay, I just, that doesn't make sense. So 
But the thing is, both of those investments that we're making with our money have value to us. There is value associated to it. We are spending money in the hopes of getting something better than money out of that experience. I would, in other words, if you like clothes, you would rather have that cute top instead of that money. You're making an exchange. You would rather have that. For me, the money is worth it to get that good food. I would rather have the food than the money at that point. For some of you, it may be totally different. For some of you, it could be just the simplest of things. When you go online to pay your mortgage every month, you would rather have a roof over your head than that money. When you pay the electric bill, we live in Arkansas in the summertime, you would rather have air conditioning than that 100 bucks, okay? You, you value those things. What you value, you want a good return on what you're investing in. It makes the sacrifice worth it. Um, even if you're not playing the stock market or anything like that, you want a good return on your investment. And this is the picture that Jesus is trying to paint with this story. He is trying to paint a picture. In case you haven't figured it out yet, Jesus is this master who's giving his servants, that's us, these amounts. And he's saying, I'm coming back at some point. In his best terminator voice, I'll be back, okay? I'm coming back, and I want to see what you did with the investment that I gave you. He wants this, it to be worth it. And and this is the thing. And the Bible says that he entrusted it with them. And this is a big deal because God, his intention is to bless them with it. In other words, Jesus, when he gave us our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our resource, the stuff we have, when he's given us those passions we have inside of us, he wants his sacrifice to be worth it. He wants a return on the investment that he has made. So this morning, I want to talk primarily about that third guy, the guy who only got one bag of gold. Okay, now you're going to hear me. I'm going to interchange bag of gold and a million dollars throughout this message today, okay, because we can't all associate with a million or a bag of gold. We can't even associate with a million dollars, but it just makes a little bit more sense than a bag of gold for us. And so you've got one guy who got five million, one guy that got two million, and one guy that got one. And I want to talk about the guy who got one. There's two big takeaways that we can take from this guy, okay? And I want to talk about them both this morning. The first takeaway that we can learn is he had the wrong view of God. He had the wrong view of God. He had a misconception of who God was. I read an article this week, and it, it talked about how our view of God is. And, and it had a great quote at the very beginning of this article. It says, is it, if the truth sets us free, if the truth sets us free, then a lie will keep us bound. If the truth will set us free, then that means a lie will keep us bound. And for many of us, we have walked around with a lie, a misconception. We have been bound by a false sense of who God is. We're looking at God in a way that is not 100% accurate to who he says he is. Verse 24 says, I knew you were a hard man. This man in the story obviously had a, a, he did not have a clear picture of who exactly God was. He viewed him as a hard man, as somebody who, almost like a dictator type, that if you mess up, I'm going to smite you, okay? I'm going to pop you over the head. If you've watched the movie Bruce Almighty, there's a scene where Jim Carrey is talking, and he's angry with God. And he goes, God's just a big kid with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant, and he just wants to burn me, okay? And that's the mentality some of us have when it comes to God. We view God as this angry guy who we have to follow every single rule. And every time you mess up, you better pray for forgiveness right away because God, if you die, I, I grew up 
with, with that mentality. I grew up kind of in a church that, that was kind of the, the style of preaching and talking, that if you made a mistake and died right then, game over, okay? If you, if you were hammering something and your, your, your thumb got in the way, and pow, and even if you just thought the word, if you didn't repent for it right then, sayonara eternity, because that's it. And God is just not that way. And so this man is viewing God that way. You're a hard man. It's easy to read about God. It's a lot different to have a relationship with him. And at the end of the day, that's what God is wanting for us. I'm convinced that the reason generations of people, I'm a student pastor, so generations of students do not know about the goodness of God is because they don't know God. They hear about him. They read stories. They hear about what some churches and organizations are doing in the news. They see it come on BuzzFeed or on the Huffington Post, and they see all this stuff happen. And they're like, I don't want anything, any part of that. It's because they're hearing a, a false sense of who God is. They have no idea who he actually is because they don't know him. We have a false view of God. Uh, the view, our view of God is critical to how we live our lives. A.W. Tozer said it this way, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our view of God shapes everything we are. It shapes everything that we do. It shapes our entire lives, how we worship. The, the view you have of God affects your worship when you come into this building. If you don't view him as a loving God, you will be fearful. How we view God determines a lot. There's a couple of signs that you may be viewing God the wrong way, and I want to talk about two of them today. The first is this. You see God as distant. It's so the first sign that you're viewing God the wrong way is that you view God as distant. The thought of God for a lot of us can be overwhelming. Um, I know it's easy for us to think sometimes because we can't actually see God or have a physical conversation with him. Sometimes it's easy for us to kind of imagine God is on this throne a billion light years away. and He's just kind of looking at us through a small TV screen. And he doesn't even pay attention to us. We know the scripture. We've heard the stories. We, we even believe that God created the world. He created the universe. He did all this stuff. But we, we imagine God as this far away God. And the truth is he's close to us. If you don't believe how big God is, I want to give you an example. One of the biggest stars that mankind has, has been able to find is called the Canis Majoris. Okay, And it's one of the biggest stars we've been able to find. And compared to us and our tiny planet, it's Astonishing, astonishing. And some of you may have seen this example before, but I'm going to do it again anyway. Louis Giglio has a great talk about how big God is. And, and in it, he, he equates earth to a golf ball, okay? And so you, I've got a golf ball here, and this is planet earth. You are here, okay? <laughs> That's you. Can you see yourself yet? Probably not. Okay. And compared to Canis Majoris, our golf ball-sized earth is compared to Mount Everest. That's how big this star is. It's a long ways away. We have to use big telescopes to see it. But compared to our planet, you can just imagine it. Earth, six miles later, the top of Mount Everest. That's how big this star is. It's so big... You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside this one star. It's amazing. It would be big enough, it is big enough, that if Earth were a golf ball, 
you could cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep in golf balls and fit those inside this one star. God is a big God because all he had to do was just speak the word and boom, it's there. God's a big God and it's easy to hear that. And I don't know about you, but I get a very shrinking feeling in those moments because now I realize that I'm just one person in a small town, in a small state, on a tiny planet, on a little bitty, near a little bitty star in the middle of an average size galaxy flung out in the middle of a massive universe. And I suddenly feel very small. And it's easy for us sometimes, if we're not careful, to view God as a distant God far away, not caring about us. But even though our big God is a big God, watch what it says in Acts chapter 17. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him to find him. I love this line. Though he is not far from any one of us. He is not far away. He's a big God, but he's not far away. That last line says, we are his offspring. This massive, star-breathing, star-speaking God seems like he should have nothing to do with us, yet he is right next to us. He is so close, he lives with us. He cares about us. The Bible is full of scriptures and moments that talk about God being near us, that he knows the hairs on our heads, that he sees it when a sparrow falls, that he knows it. He, we, we can't imagine the way God's mind operates. Our thoughts are not like his thoughts. He knows all of us. He sees all of us at every moment. We are the children of a big God. In fact, Jesus referred to God as a father over 175 times in the Bible. Mark chapter 14, verse 36 says, this is what Jesus is saying, Abba, Father. He said, everything's possible for you. He called called him Abba, Father. He called him Daddy, okay? Just like you would call your father Dad. You go to him for advice. You talk to him. You want to have a conversation with him. You need to be picked up as a child. It's that kind of conversation. He says that we are that close to him. You can call the creator of the universe a father. The second sign that we have the wrong view of God is that we devalue his love for us. We devalue it. We look at God and we see him as a distant God, so obviously we have this wrong too. We don't realize the amount of love that he actually has for us. One of the ways that we, can, we, we have become, we started to view God is by, based on our actions. We think that I have to do things to earn the love of God. And listen, I've been guilty of this so many times. If I mess up, if I have a, a wrong thought, if I do something wrong, if I sin, I immediately think, well, there goes the love of God. And I have to claw my way back. We, 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 t- we talk about our Christianity like it shoots and ladders. You do one thing, you slide all the way back down, and you have to earn your way and climb your way back up to the, to the top. I read an article that had a great quote this week. It says, you get no say in how God feels about you. You get no say. And for some of us, that's kind of a shrinking feeling, and we're not sure how we feel about that. What that should do is give us immense joy because we have no say. God just loves us. He just loves us. He loves who we are. He is love, plain and simple. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. He doesn't love. He is love. It's not an action he takes. It's not a conscious thought he has. He just is love. 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved. Your life is 
always meant to be the response of your revelation of his love. It is not a work visa to get you up to that place. We are the reflection of God's love. The man in this parable, the story Jesus was talking about, hid what God gave him because he thought God would punish him or love him less if he didn't do the most with it. But you can't change God's opinion of you. He loves you. What he wants is for you to chase after and be pursuant of him. His love is unconditional. The thing he desires the most is for you to pursue him. The other thing we can take away from this man in the parable is that he had the wrong view of himself. He had the wrong view of himself. He looked at himself with false lenses also. Chances are you've heard the uh, famous Henry Ford quote. It says, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And it's true. It's a simple statement, but it's true. If you think you can do it, you can. If you think you can't do it, you probably can't. Your opinion of yourself matters a lot. Verse 15 of this story, it said, To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his own ability. Now I can understand in this moment why this man would have a false view of himself. Because he's probably looking around the room and saying, Well, you got, you got five, you got two. Why did I only get one? But it was based on each man's ability. The person who got five bags had more ability. The person with one had the least. He had been given the least, but he also did the least with it. His mindset was wrong from the very beginning. As soon as he got it, he immediately went to a negative place, and he started looking around saying, well, I'm the least, obviously, so why even bother? And it's a trap we get caught in. We, get, we start to get caught in the comparison trap, and that's the first sign that you know you have the wrong view of yourself, is that we compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to other people. The man in Jesus' story would probably have done this, been given his bag and look over and say, am I not as good as they are? What, what do they have that I don't have? Why can't I be as smart as them? Why can't I be as talented as them? Why can't I invest money the way they can? And we do this all the time ourselves, especially in our culture. I wish I was as pretty as she was. I wish I had as much money as he did. I wish my kids would behave like their kids, okay? I wish we could go on vacations like they do. It's, it's really easy for us to have that comparison trap, especially in the summertime, okay? In the summertime, you're going to start seeing, if you haven't already, you're going to start seeing beach pictures from other people. And one of these days, you're going to see somebody taking a picture from Destin, Florida with the, the, the hot dog looking picture, you know, their legs just sitting in the sand while you're mowing the yard in 105 degree weather, okay? You're going to have that and you're going to, in your head, cuss them out a little bit. Let's be honest, okay? You're going to be really upset that they're posting pictures like that and you can't do it. And the comparison trap starts to set in. It's a funny story. I, uh, several years ago, uh, my family, we all went on a family vacation together to Florida. And my dad, he was so excited about this, he, he booked us a deep sea fishing trip. And he's always wanted to do that. He wanted to share that experience with his boys. And so we did just a guy's trip to deep sea fishing. He had booked the whole day for this event. Uh, I knew I was a little bit uh, motion, I got motion sickness kind of easy, so I made sure to hop up on Dramamine before we went. And so we go out there. The ride out to the middle of the ocean was what it felt like, uh, was, was fine. The wind in my face, seawater splashing me, it was great. We had a, a, lot of, a lot of fun going super fast and slamming onto the waves really hard. But the minute we stopped, the boat started doing this. 
and I started doing this. <laughs> it was awful. It was so bad. I looked up once after we stopped. I said, this is cool, <laughs> and just lost it. I could not sit up. I didn't cast a single line. I, didn't, I think I opened my eyes maybe one other time. My hands were in my face, knees down, not looking at anything. I was chumming the water throughout the whole trip, giving back to the sea. It was an awful experience. And I hated it because my dad spent this money. He scheduled this time. It was a big deal for him. He had blocked out the whole day. I think we were out there two hours. And he realized this isn't going to happen. Okay? My brother did a little bit better than me, but about halfway through, he couldn't even do it. And we came back. But you want to know what I posted on Instagram? A great picture of my dad holding a fish. Had a great time, deep sea fishing, love vacation, it's awesome. What, and everybody's liking and commenting on their text. Man, it looks like you guys had a great time. It was so great. They had no idea that half of my intestines is now sitting in the Atlantic Ocean. But we do this. We are viewing, when we compare ourselves to other people, we are viewing the best of them to the worst of us. i got a great illustration I want to show you. I found this little comic strip uh, as I was, I was doing this, and I just want to show it to you really quickly. If you'll see this, this far side, look at that new car. There's a guy in a used car looking at a brand new car, wishing he had it. We've all been there. Then the next slide over, you see a guy on a bike. He can't afford a car, and he's saying, oh, look at, I wish I could afford that car. Then the next slide over, you see a guy who doesn't even have a bike. He's having to walk everywhere. He said, I wish I had a bike. It'd make life easier. Then, of course, you see a guy up in a, in a window in a wheelchair saying he, he's got the freedom to go wherever he wants. We are always comparing ourselves to people who have more than us. And it's a psychology issue. Social psychologist Leon Festinger did a study in 1954. And he said that one of the reasons people compare themselves to others is because we learn how to define ourselves based on other people. We want to figure out who we are, so we look to other people to see where they're at. And when we compare ourselves with other people, it becomes our identity. And we do this constantly. We look at other people and try to figure out who we are, but instead we only get a distorted reality of who we are. Paul writes this in Galatians 1.10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, and I love this, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't do both. You can't try to please man, live up to their standards, and serve God. You have to follow Christ. God meant for you to be you. You may look at your one bag and think of it as worthless, but God gave it to you for a reason because nobody else can do what you can do with that. So we have to do something. The last sign that we have the wrong view of ourselves is that we let fear control us. In this story, in, in verse 24 and 25, this man is talking to the master, and he says, I knew you were a hard man, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Fear got the best of this guy. He was so afraid that he would lose what was given to him, and he wouldn't do the right thing, that he just did nothing. He froze with fear. Um, there's a story of my life. Um, some of you know this, some of you may not, but about nine years ago, I decided to take a big step in my life and I wanted to start my own business. And I had a background in uh, magazines, design. I was a designer for a magazine and I was a, a writer. And I had been out of the magazine world for a couple of years and I, was, I had the itch. I was like, I can do that. I wanna do that. And even though print media is a dying medium, 
I just love the feel of a magazine and the beautiful design that you can do with it and the stories you can tell and the, and the, the deep conversations that you can have in something like that. And so I said, I'm going to start my own. It's a dream I've always had. I want to start my own. And this is actually a picture of the first issue of that magazine. And that is not some weird mock-up, okay? I actually did. I, I, I worked my tail off, blood, sweat, and tears. I got interviews with Switchfoot, talked to the whole band, wrote a story up on them. Now, some of you are like, who's Switchfoot? That's not relevant. Ten years ago, it was a big band, okay? Switchfoot was awesome. I got to interview those guys. Some of you may have heard of the comedian Tim Hawkins. I talked to him. I got a great interview with him. I talked to some great people, local people, Craig O'Neill, I talked to him. I got this whole issue lined up. I knew exactly what I wanted. I had a five-year plan. I had a distribution plan in mind. I knew what cities I was going to go to, how I was going to do it, how we were going to get reader support, all of this stuff lined up. I had it all down pat, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. But the one thing I didn't realize is that in order to have a successful magazine, you kind of have to sell advertising, and I couldn't do it. I'm a terrible salesman, okay? Terrible. That's why I say fundraising for a mission trip's the worst because I'm terrible at it. I can't raise money. I don't like talking about money. I don't like it. And so I couldn't do it. I never got the, that graphic you see there is the closest thing I got to getting my magazine to the world. More people are seeing that now than ever, <laughs> okay? I failed, but failure, it didn't define me. It just became part of my story. It didn't end it. It became a footnote in it. I learned from it. I got better from it. Just because we fail doesn't make us a failure. I'm not a parent yet. I'm not a dad. Um, hopefully soon. That's what we're praying for. But I know a lot of parents who have small children, who have babies, okay? In fact, if you're a parent in this place, raise your hand. Let me know who you are, my, where my parents at. Okay, yeah, you can relate with this. Everybody else, just imagine. I've never met a parent once who looks at their child when they take their first steps. I mean, you got to picture it too. Baby's first steps, there has never been a pretty baby walk, okay? You don't see a lot of babies <laughs> just strutting their stuff, okay, right, right off the bat. They're not runway models. This is not Project One Runway for toddlers, when a baby takes its first step, first off, it's just a chore to get up. And the amount of effort it takes to take that one wobbly step, and chances are they fall right after that, right? They don't make it very far before they stumble and they fall and they can't sustain it. But I have never met a parent one who said, yeah, little Billy, he took his first step. He did not do it right. I'm so mad at him. I don't love him anymore. He messed up that one step, his first step. He didn't get it right the first time. I'm disowning him. Would anybody like a child? No. Every parent I know, when that baby takes that first step, they have, so, they have more phones and cameras on them than a Hollywood production because they are so excited for that child's first step. It goes on Instagram. It goes Facebook. It goes on MySpace, and that didn't even a thing anymore. They will put it everywhere and anywhere. They will send videos to grandparents. They will send videos to friends, coworkers. They will send videos to complete strangers because they are so excited that their kid has taken a step. It's a monumental accomplishment. And church, let me tell you this, God looks at us the same way. Even if we fail, even if we don't make it all the way there, if we just take the step, God is proud of us. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you just to do something. We cannot let fear 
stop us from taking the step. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, keeps him down, pushes him to the ground, keeps him down here. But a good word makes him glad, raises him up, encourages him, and moves him forward. We cannot let fear take control of our lives. Instead, let's have faith in ourselves that God has called us to do great things. I want you guys to stand with me. In fact, I'd love it if while you're standing, you just bow your heads just right now, just nobody looking around because I just want to speak to your heart for just a minute. The, you know, the end of this story, the end of this parable, Jesus is saying that the man who had one, he didn't do anything with it. So give that one bag to the person who had 10. And I think that's a really interesting statement. And it's consistent with what Jesus teaches. Because I think Jesus is saying, if you're not going to use it, I'm going to give it to somebody who will. And if you don't believe me, then, then look at in, in Luke disciples are, are talking and a Pharisee comes up to Jesus and said, would you tell them to be quiet? And Jesus says, if they don't speak it, then the rocks will cry out. Basically, if they're not going to speak it, then I'm going to, I'm God, I'll make a rock start talking. I, I did it to a donkey a long time ago. I don't know what God has put in your heart, what he's created you for. Every person is different. Every person has their own gifts, their own abilities, their own passions, their own desires. But I believe every single person in this room has been given something by God. And whether it's one bag or five bags, it doesn't matter because he gave it to you for a reason. I know not every person can stand up on this stage and talk. Not every person can get up here and sing a song or play an instrument. Not every person can go back there and work with kids but every one of us have been given something. Even if you feel like it's irrelevant to the gospel, God said, nah, I gave it to you for a reason. You're gonna be the first one ever to use it that way because nobody else can do what you can do. But we have a wrong view of God and we have a wrong view of ourselves and God is saying today, I want you to have the correct vision for the plan I have for your life. Do not take this gift, this talent, this resource, this passion, this desire, do not take it and bury it and do nothing with it. Use it. And even if you fail, even if you take a step and fall on your face, even if your magazine doesn't get off the ground, even if that dream you had seems to be dying, you pursue God and let it become part of your story.